0: From the occupation of land by landless campesinos to the redistribution of the country's resource wealth to its citizens, the class struggle in Venezuela takes many forms, but one of the clearest expressions of the struggle of the Venezuelan working class against the bourgeoisie today is the efforts by workers to seize control of the means of production directly taking the factory out of the hands of the bosses, and running their workplaces democratically, under workers' control. Welcome to the Venezuela Analysis Podcast. I'm your host, José Luis Granado Ceja. The Venezuela Analysis Podcast brings you independent, on-the-ground, English-language coverage of Venezuela and the Bolivarian process, You'll hear news and in-depth analysis about the country, as well as coverage of leftists and grassroots forces. On today's program, we'll take a dive into the movement by workers to take control of their factories amid shutdowns and sabotage, wresting the means of production into their hands, and radically transforming the administration of these enterprises into authentic workplace democracies. The worker-controlled movement in Venezuela was born out of the push and pull of class struggle. After the 2002 coup against former President Hugo Chávez, the Bolivarian Revolution went through a process of radicalization, with the working class going on the offensive against the bourgeoisie that had just tried to oust the democratically elected president. This, in turn, prompted acts of economic sabotage. That is, the bosses tried to harm the government by engaging in a boss's lockout, shutting down many industries tied to the country's oil sector. Unwilling to tolerate this assault on their rights, workers fought back, occupying their workplaces in order to restart production. Although this first experience with workers' control during the Bolivarian process would ultimately peter out, the class warfare by the bourgeoisie would be repeated in 2012, as Venezuela's progressive labor law was about to be passed in the National Assembly, as it was set to amplify workers' rights in a number of important ways, putting the country's capitalist class on alert. Once again, workers and owners found themselves in open conflict, After many long battles, workers in some factories got control of the plants as mandated by the Labor Laws Article 149, which entitles workers to take control of an enterprise when their owner sabotages the production process. In many cases, in order to recover these factories, the workers had to struggle in both a literal and metaphorical sense, sleeping on the floor of the factory to prevent further sabotage. Today, these worker-controlled factories continue to inspire workers the world over, showing that it is indeed possible to seize the means of production. But Venezuelan workers also face the challenge of restarting production while under a punishing U.S.-led sanctions regime. To speak about the state of the worker-controlled struggle today, we will talk with Sergio Requena, a central figure in the Voluntary Workers' Initiative to jumpstart industrial plants called the Productive Workers' Army. But first, a conversation with Venezuelan analysis Sira Pascual Macrina about the history of the worker-controlled movement, its present-day challenges, and the lessons we can draw from the Venezuelan experience. Hello, Sira. Thank you so much for being with us here on the program, and it's always good to have you here. And today we're talking about worker-controlled spaces, the worker-controlled movement in Venezuela. And you've had the opportunity to visit many worker-controlled spaces throughout the country. Can you draw a picture for our listeners about the history of this struggle and some of its present-day challenges?
1: Uh, Thank you, Jose Luis. It's wonderful to talk about this. I actually think it's a a theme that's really relevant for all of us who struggle for building a better world and who are are committed to uh, working-class struggles. Okay, so a little bit of a picture. Uh, I guess um, we cannot begin talking about uh, worker control in the Bolivarian process without talking about 2001-2002, which is generally not uh, referred to as a moment of worker control. That's when the right wing, with uh, imperialist support, with U.S. support, did a sabotage, a coup basically, a sabotage coup on the oil industry. And it was the workers of PDVSA, of the Venezuelan oil industry, state oil industry, um, the, basically the hierarchy of PDVSA uh, sabotaged the process and the working class of PDVSA was the one who actually took, um, who was able to reinitiate production of oil. Let's remember that Venezuela is an oil producing country that most of its economy is based for now on oil production and sales and uh, when this uh, exercise of sabotage from imperialism happened it brought the economy basically to its knees it was then the thousands of workers in the different plants and oil wells around the country that were able to recover the oil industry That's often not referred to as a moment of worker control, but it was in fact a great historical experience of worker control, and it shows that workers are capable of actually running the most complex, one of the most complex industries in the world, which is oil exploitation, refining, etc. No, so that is where I would like to begin. But then, if we go to, let's say, the traditional history of worker control within the Bolivarian Revolution. And, of course, I want to uh, say here that before the Bolivarian Revolution, there were also attempts to worker control. Of course, the history of worker struggle in Venezuela does not begin with the Bolivarian Revolution, but we are, let's say, too narrow our our conversation today. We, we leave it within the framework of the Bolivarian Revolution. And around 2004... Um, so just two two years after the coup d'état and also the oil sabotage, uh, when some of the most progressive laws have been had been put in place, some of the bosses began a process of sabotaging production um, in different uh, rather important enterprises around the country, like valve uh, producing uh enterprises and paper producing enterprises etc so there was a kind of like a bosses sabotage of production and in that moment some of the workers kind of like as a response began to propose that uh, since the bosses were sabotaging production that they should be the ones who would be who would run the enterprises and there was a struggle we are talking about a moment in the Bolivarian revolution when there's a lot of energy there's a lot of enthusiasm there's a lot of uh, but there's also also a lot of pull back and forth in other words, there are sectors of the state that are not willing to lend the power to the workers yet, and the workers are ready to have it so there it was a, an interesting power. Struggle within the context of the Bolivarian process. This will happen within any revolution. Any revolution will have within struggles and disputes. And so, some of the interesting uh, processes of worker control, like in Vepal and in begin around there, two thousand four, two thousand five, two thousand and six. Those those projects were really interesting, um, but we have to recognize one thing here. Uh, Jose Luis, and that's that. Venezuela has a relatively um, the the development of the means of production, industrial means of production outside of the oil spheres, is relatively small because Venezuela is a capitalist rentier country. So many of these factories were kind of isolated. Uh, they were like one factory here and another factory there. So that made it difficult to continue that uh, project of worker control. In any case, it was a moment that was very, uh, that became a reference actually at the continental level. But those projects didn't fully flourish, we could say. We are talking then 2004, 2005, 2006. Um. And then comes 2012. 2012 is when Chavez pr- proposes and the law is passed, the new law of uh, the new work law, the w- the law that is in, in place right now. And again, uh, the bosses, st- many bosses, especially in the Guayana region, which is the basic industries region in Venezuela to the south of the country in Bolivar State. Uh, many of the bosses of the owners of those factories started a very intense coordinated uh, process to sabotage production again. And most recently, and I encourage all our readers to, to look at this special that we did in Venezuela, that we published in Venezuela analysis. Most uh, recently I was able to, to visit three uh, worker control um, enterprises in Guayana, which are Indorca, Equipetrol, and Calderis. There are three enterprises that are fully um, run by workers. And why? Because around 2012, the the bosses do a sabotage, and basically a bosses strike. And as it turns out, the law that the bosses were striking against actually did turn out to be a law that had a revolutionary element or several revolutionary elements to it. It is often said that the Venezuelan work law, it's a progressive law, but there are Truly uh, revolutionary elements in that law, and one of them is that if there's a workers, uh, sorry, if there's a a boss's sabotage, then the workers have the right to take over the factory. But it will be run democratically. It will be run by all the workers who are in the factory who sustain the factory. The workers who produce the value in the factory will be the ones who run the factory. So. Um, something like 10 years after this whole process began, I was able to visit three factories and I can say it was just amazing. These three factories are really run in a very, very democratic way. Workers make the decisions about how they produce, what they produce and what they will do with the surplus that they uh, produce. So I shouldn't go much longer, but that's kind of like a brief history of three moments that are, I think very important to understand uh, the worker struggle for control in the last 20 years, 20, 20, 22 years, yeah.
0: And in this history that you're sharing with us, we're seeing that a lot of what prompted this effort to introduce worker-controlled workplaces came as a result of Boston sabotage or an economic crisis in the country. And while those experiences are no doubt admirable, and it's great to hear about what you've been able to, to see in, in, these, in these visits, It seems to me like the strategy for the democratization of the workplace and the economy, which is what many in Venezuela are pushing for, what are organizing towards, it cannot rely solely on responding to these provocations by the bourgeoisie. So what lessons can we draw about the Venezuelan experience in advancing the class struggle, in actually securing more control over the wealth that workers are creating?
1: Well, that's an excellent question. First, I would like to highlight one thing, um, which is that actually worker, contr- worker control works in Venezuela. Venezuela is a, is a country that is uh, under siege, under siege by U.S. imperialism. So these factories that I visited with recently, I would like to highlight that as opposed to other state and private enterprises in Venezuela, which due to the incredible crisis and the sanctions that have been imposed on the country have ceased to work, these worker-controlled factories actually are working. But that actually doesn't answer your question. Your question is how to go forward, how to make this example, how to project this example so that we can really, so that we as the working class can take over, uh, control over the means of production. And I think that, uh, I mean, basically there has to be a, a party or a movement that puts forth the need to to do worker control over the spaces of production, and this actually brings us back to an old debate within the left. I mean, my position there's there's left positions or communist positions that say, well, the state should have control of the means of production and control them in favor of the society, which is one position and it's a valid position. Let's say it's the traditional communist party tra- position. My position and the position of many of us in the Bolivarian process is that actually um, the best thing is social control of the means of production. What Chavez talked, uh, Chavez talked about uh, propiedad social, social production over the means of production, and social control over the means of production. And in that regard, the fact that this social control over the means of production, this socialized control of the means of production actually works, is the best thing that we can do as media. Now, how? what can the workers do to project the work? I mean, well, I guess I would say uh, we need a party that really commits itself to uh, doing away with the control over the means of production by the bourgeoisie. A party is needed. Social movements are needed. Uh, workers who are actually controlling the means of production and who can teach us a lot, uh, their voice should be heard and their voice should be projected. And that's what we actually are trying to do through this program and through other exercises in Venezuelan analysis and of course many other media do the same thing so i guess uh, to project into a future where workers control the means of production i guess uh, it's a it's a big question no but it requ- it will require a lot of work from all of us who are committed to a democratic control of the society as a whole which means controlling your schools co- collectively control collectively and democratically collecting your schools and controlling also collectively and democratically your work spaces and every every space of society should be collectively and democratically controlled, so it takes i mean the majority of the society committed to a, the tra- to the radical transformation of society, of the society itself to move us in that direction. but I think that what we can say here is that as yes, i 'm repeating myself, but I, I do want to make emphasis on this point is that one thing that we can do, what that I feel we can do from the from the alternative or non mainstream media, is let it be known that actually these projects are viable. That in these conditions of crisis in Venezuela, they have survived, as opposed to many capitalist and state run enterprises. So, if they have survived this very difficult situation, I think that that shows us that they are kind of like pointing in the right direction.
0: You make an excellent point, absolutely. If, if you're witnessing your workplace being democratized, naturally you start to think, what else can democratize? Why not my community? Why not my schools? Why not push for an authentic democratization? And that actually brings me to my next question. We've seen in these workplaces that there's a tremendous emphasis on education and raising consciousness. What does the experience of the Venezuelan workers at, at these worker-controlled factories teach us about the struggle to actually question the logic of capital, this this ideology that is this, so overwhelming in capitalist societies, and building a socialist project in, in this context where capital relations still predominate?
1: Actually, this is a very good question because... Um, there's um, there's those factories that I was telling you about that around 2004, 2005 and 2006 were taken over by the workers and those were marvellous projects. Those uh, initiatives were oftentimes went hand in hand with kind of like old crusty leftists kind of like directing the process to a great degree. The later uh processes of worker control the ones that come around 2005 2000, uh, th- sorry 2012 2014 2015 until now these are the ones that are still alive those uh factory those those processes come out of a real struggle they do not they, let's say they were not directed by a party or a movement these people were people who saw that there was something they were patriotic uh, you know, like people who love their country, who love who loved Venezuela and who did not want the, the bosses to to bring the industry to its knees. So there were people who defended their means of production to where they produce value uh, and their own, let's say, their own experience of fighting against uh, capitalism in its most uh, overtly perverse phase um in in this experience in the experience itself of fighting against the bosses who were trying to close up the factories that was a space of formation and of education that was really really fundamental i was talking to a friend the other day who was saying but why why these people who was there who was there accompanying these struggles and i was like really nobody it was Nobody from outside of the, of the workers in the factories, nobody accompanied these struggles. The workers themselves were the leaders. They were the organizers. So, um, but of course there's been a lot of emphasis on education in these in this, um, in these processes. I guess I would say that the teaching is that the struggle itself is the most important formative moment. And by the way, I want to highlight something here that the, the, The struggle is not only begins with a struggle against uh, the old uh, bourgeois owner of the the factory, but of course, a struggle in a society that's still capitalist, like the Venezuelan society with a bourgeois state. uh, That kind of society, uh, in that kind of society, there are also going to be contradictions that will emerge between a worker-controlled factory, which is legal because the law... Give, grants the workers the right to take control of the factory, as I was telling you before, but so the these factories have a legal standing, but they are kind of like neither fish nor fowl too. they are neither private nor state enterprises. Nobody exactly understands it, and nobody really believes outside of these exercises of uh, self organizing democratic self organizing of the working class, nobody really believes. It's very hard for most people to believe that it is actually possible for workers to to run the factory. So they have many challenges. One of the challenges, of course, that these are factories that are actually socialist projects in a capitalist society, but also that the Venezuelan state is a state that's permeated by capitalist logic. So the challenges that they face are many, and I guess... uh, learning from how they debate and how they analyze and how they reflect on their situations and how they go forward in very hard conditions. I mean, I guess that would be the, the most important teaching for, for me from, you know, like the most recent visits to these factories and in general to all, from all the visits that I've done through the years to different uh, worker-controlled factories.
0: Actually, myself had the chance to visit one of the factories that you mentioned in, in two thousand six during the context of the World Social Forum. I went to visit Imbivall, and it was an experience that that stays with me to this day. Uh, it, it profoundly changed my understanding of what the political struggle, what the class struggle, can actually look like. You know, you mentioned that sometimes it's hard for people to accept the fact that workers can run their workspaces, and it wasn't until I saw it that I really truly believed it myself. And so, I wanted to offer. Uh, an opportunity for you to share with our listeners an anecdote, something about your experiences at these worker-controlled spaces that can serve as inspiration to our listeners and to the world and to workers everywhere who are really starting to ask these same questions. What is the path forward?
1: Well, actually, I would like to tell you a story and an anecdote uh, that go hand in hand. Uh, these uh, three factories that we were that I visited recently, one of them is called Indorka, And Indorka is kind of like the the mother of a very interesting project, which is called the Productive Workers' Army. The Productive Workers' Army is an amazing uh, uh, self-run, self-managed initiative. It's basically a social movement of workers, uh, men and women who work in factories. And these uh, men and women have, put themselves at the service of recovering the nation's industry after the tremendous uh, blow that the nation's industry has received due to the crisis and the sanctions. So the Productive Workers' Army is made out of hundreds of men and women who go to different enterprises and reactivate enterprises that, I don't know, an enterprise that had a massive industrial oven, Uh, the oven wasn't working, and it would have cost thousands of dollars to fix the oven. There wasn't that money to be had. Workers from different parts of the country go to to this uh, factory, and with their knowledge, they reactivate this. Um, My personal experience with you, with the productive workers army i've been working with this uh, organization for a while and actually uh, a, a beautiful i don't know if it's an anecdote this is an, an amazing experience because um the battle the workers army battle that's how we call when the workers go into a place to fix whatever problems they are they there are in a in a specific place the battle that I went to was in El Maizal, which, of course, I mean, probably our listeners know about El Maizal. El Maizal is an amazing commune in Lara. So this a group of 45 men and women workers from different factories, industrial workers, went to this rural commune and helped restart some tractors and some machinery that was there. So more than a specific anecdote, this is like, Um, a a wonderful experience of the working of the fibril working class of the industrial working class coming together with a communal uh, campesino uh, sector. And the encounter was actually really, really wonderful because there were, there were a lot of, Cultural differences, of course. The industrial workers from come from the city, and we are talking about co- common arts who live in the countryside, and who are campesinos. So there were tremendous, actually, very big cultural differences. But at the same time, there was like a very, um, a, a very fluid and very amorous and very, uh, very uh teaching in both ways uh, a space of teaching back and forth that was really interesting so i guess i would say um yes the the productive workers army is an extraordinary example uh all these people who are working basically doing voluntary work and the working class i mean the working class produces value as we know the the ones who produce value are the working class and uh, the working class is fundamental the commoner sector is fundamental in Venezuela but the working class industrial working class has to be brought back to the forefront in this moment because uh, we are not going to be able to to overcome the tremendous uh, barriers that we are facing and the tremendous um, crisis that we are facing if the industrial class is not brought back to the center of our discourse in Venezuela. Uh, fortunately the communes are central are to a great degree central to the debate in the Venezuelan chavista leftist uh, sectors but the working class the, the industrial working class is not center enough is, is not central enough in our discourse we have to be put forth and they have to be reinserted in our discourse and more importantly of course they, we have to all struggle together for to continue with Chavez's project of socialism which brings together the workers and the campesinos and the poor people from the city all of us have to to put our forces together to to bring back the best of the Bolivarian process and uh, to reactivate the revolutionary process, which it should be acknowledged that it's, you know, like these are difficult times in, in Venezuela, both uh, politically and economically. Sometimes uh, people uh, kind of like when you are in such harsh conditions, sometimes one can lose the horizon. But when you look at the potential that's within communes and within the uh, industrial working class, well, you see that there's really, that the revolution is there, it just has to be rekindled. That's right, absolutely.
0: You know, and as our guest in the next segment says, right, it's a non-conventional army for a non-conventional war. It's about creating the new man, the new woman, the new person, social society. Thank you so much for your analysis. As always, it's been an absolute pleasure. We've been speaking with Sierra Pascual Marquina from the team here at Venezuela Analysis. You, you En el tema del control obrero, la autogestión obrera, la cogestión obrera socialista en las empresas que no deben ser del Estado, sino de empresas del pueblo manejadas por los trabajadores
2: del pueblo. Born in
0: 1974 in Puerto Ordaz in the industrial heartland of Venezuela, Sergio Requena is a worker who is playing a key role in efforts by the Venezuelan working class. To overcome the multifactorial crisis. In our interview, Sergio talks to us about the need to break with capitalist logic and the need to go further in order to fully seize the means of production, relying on the wisdom of the working class in order to put it under democratic control with the aim of building socialism. Thank you very much for being here with us. My first question is abroad, outside of Venezuela, that has always been a lot of interest in workers control. I lived in Canada for a few years and there were people there who published a documentary on workers' control in Argentina, and there was a lot of excitement, so much excitement that it seems to me that some see the struggle to recover factories as a panacea in the face of the problems that are created by capitalist production. And while the struggle for workers' control is an inspiration, without a doubt, can you speak to us about why the struggle for workers' control has to go hand in hand with the struggle to develop a planned and centralized production? Why are these two elements indispensable?
1: First off, José Luis,
2: of of First off, José Luis, all these struggles to collectivize the means of production, which is simply the basis of the socialist system, this is the complete opposite of the capitalist element where a single person or a small group of people own the means of production. So in that sense, everything that goes against it that flips things around and offers something opposite is what becomes a path to overcome capitalism. I I can talk about this specific reality in Venezuela. It is true that workers' control is not enough. I agree with the idea you mentioned that there must be a unified production plan in order to be able to direct efforts toward satisfying the needs of the people. But that does not exist here. It does not exist presently after we have had an attempt to advance towards Socialism and nor did it exist during the previous governments of the Fourth Republic, the governments that held power before Chávez. And this plan would be very necessary, accompanied of course by the collectivization of the means of production, to break definitely with a fragmentation which is very characteristic here in Venezuela, of the different work areas and fragmentation of all those industries where each one is the owner of small elements. It is similar to a group of islands which function in isolation and which seek their own individual and individualistic rewards, ignoring the real needs of the people. And on top of that, they do not work together, they do not interact, which means that despite the fact that there could be an intent to move towards socialism, There is a redundancy of efforts, and all this stems from dragging along the capitalist habits that have been established. And this comes from within the government itself. The government itself does not have control or has not had control over these isolation issues, over these divisions, and has not been able to implement a very interesting element that President Chavez talked a lot about or that he proposed at the time, which is complementarity complementarity, that can generate savings in economic terms, since what one company produces is of interest to another, and this second company does not have to buy them abroad, as is normally done because there is no overall knowledge about these companies. Each company minds its own business, and there is no single purpose. That's why we need this global plan, like we were discussing in the beginning. Beyond only workers' control and the collectivization of the means of production, a unified plan for production and distribution.
0: Yes, right now you talked about the need to not look abroad, but rather inward. And I believe one of the things that the crisis is showing is precisely the weakness of organizing the economy by relying on oil rent. So with that same logic of looking inward, what role should the struggle for workers' control play in this reconfiguration of the productive forces in the country? What's needed to really increase national production under workers' control in order to meet the needs of Venezuelans?
1: El papel de-
2: The role of workers control and the collectivization of the means of production, I think it has to do with something we handle here, which is the direct and democratic management of the social process of labor. This is a concept we use in Guayana, basic industries such as Indorca, Calderis and Equipetrol. These are companies that were occupied and recovered by workers after their owners abandoned them to carry out a kind of economic sabotage against the government of President Chavez. Workers control is necessary since the process of direct and democratic management takes three fundamental boxes, such as accountability, the rotation of responsibilities, and the revocation of post. Based on these three elements, if progress is made in this management model of direct and democratic democracy in the workplace, these would be the main factors that would allow the creation of a different system. On a collective level, in this part that we could call the bottom rung of a pyramid of workers within an industrial organization, there is a very significant amount of knowledge which, if it were shared, if it were complemented, not only overcome the oil rentierism. They would effectively allow for the necessary improvements in the production of necessary goods. At this moment, the effort led by the workers can be extraordinary. More than knowledge, it is know-how, because there are people who know how to solve issues, and the people with the know-how are those who are prepared to implement the necessary innovations so that there is a total recovery of our industries, even the oil industry. The creation of technology through this sharing of complementary knowledge by the work teams is what we have proposed and we continue to defend as a workers' productive army. This is one of the principles that we apply in what we call workers' productive battles. The fruit of these efforts is evident, but for many different reasons, it has not taken seriously as a state policy that would allow for progress that the Venezuelan people desperately need.
0: Due to blockade, the government has lately implemented measures that, to be honest, point towards a certain liberalization of the economy. But at the same time, we also see that President Maduro has commented on several occasions about the need to support groups from below. Efforts of the struggle for workers control by the productive army, for example. And he has said that it is necessary to transfer productive assets to deliver them to the grassroots. So how can this contradiction be explained? How can you have on the one hand laws such as the one on the special economic zones, which has already been approved by the National Assembly, but also this desire on the part of the president to deliver productive assets to the political grassroots? So how is this contradiction explained and how can Venezuela overcome the crisis that the country is experiencing without having to resort to capitalist solutions?
2: In what concerns capital solutions Those of us who are familiar with the time before Chávez, then during the Chávez governments, and now after Chávez, we are clear about many things and above all the historical lessons of having lived through those three stages. Yes, it is totally contradictory that we are seeing the application of recipes, which have already been tested and overcome in Venezuela, because they certainly did not yield necessary results. We are also seeing displacement, or perhaps a neglect, because we certainly don't hear about it as much the fact that our process has to be a heroic creation from below. Those Robinsonian roots where President Chávez founded the Bolivarian Doctrine which paved the way to what became known as socialism of the 21st century. The government at the moment has applied these pro-market policies in strong terms from 2018 onwards. Of course, it is no secret that the marches and protests that are taking place at this very moment on national scale are owned to current living standards. These have to do with the salary conditions, which in turn are related to some industry policies, such as a new public sector budget that define the amount of money that workers will earn. This is an example along these lines. The special economic zones are another one. As is the anti-blockade law as a number of laws that seek a way out of this economic crisis that was undeniably affected by the U.S. sanctions. There are those who propose that we plow with endogenous development that we advance in this direction. There was a lot of immigration given the conditions, but the people who stayed, they stayed to fight and to strengthen the internal process, to follow the path laid out by President Chavez at the time. It is true that it might sound contradictory. I wouldn't know how to explain. I am a part of the mass of Venezuelans that in one way or another have seen the living conditions affected by the sanctions, as well as the measures taken by the government which have widened the gap between the people who have, let's say, higher economic levels and those who are at the bottom. This inequality is growing and this contradiction is going to trigger events that allow processes to move forward. But we firmly believe that the collectivization of the means of production is the way forward. That this complementarity and joint work between enterprises is the way forward that the creation of our own internal resources and the creativity of the people is what will make us advance towards socialism and not turn backwards. There is this effect that we call pendular, that we are witnessing and that has been taking us to some of the levels similar to those that we were in place during the Fourth Republic. This is palpable with the amount of protests and demonstrations that are taking place. Taking that scenario into consideration, from your
0: point of view, does the balance of forces today in Venezuela point towards a solution that favors the working class or more towards measures of economic liberalization?
2: Well, at this moment, if I analyze it, there is a contradiction in the fact that President Chavez promoted this concept of participatory and protagonist democracy to replace representative democracy. Many, not all. But many of the workers, leaders of the representative democracy model, now hold governmental posts, And that has left a vacuum of representation that is waiting to be filled. It is a dynamic process, and we must remember that a people in struggle is a people looking for an expression And those who manage to fill that vacuum, to embody those elements of struggle. will become the next influential leaders of the workers' movement. That is the situation we are currently in. Certainly, the masses of workers have been affected. Here in the basic industries of Guyana, where I have lived, collective bargaining rights, working conditions, and other issues related to labor have been affected mainly due to sanctions and the shortage of resources they generate. But we also know that there has been, of course, a lack of sense of urgency to solve some basic problems. Problems that could be solved by organizing the workers and also by fighting some elements, such as corruption which is also wreaking havoc at this time, and which has always been present in all these processes. Then, is that why you put so much emphasis, so much attention on consciousness raising,
0: on the remoralization of the working class in Venezuela?
2: Yes, we believe in remoralizing and sowing consciousness in the working class through voluntary work, The voluntary work that Che Guevara always talked about in his books. We did not invent it, but it has always been there and is the basis for the creation of the new man and the new woman. This is the way. But we must be clear, we must speak clearly, and we must act in consequence of that clarity that we express. And I am certain that the workers would support any initiative or any cause that leads to the improvement of the current living conditions in which they find themselves. This is what we are proposing.
0: Thank you so much for your time and for your answers. I wanted to give you an opportunity to offer a message to our audience, or final comment for us.
2: Well, we as working class, and as the Productive Workers Army in particular, we are a non-conventional army to win a non-conventional war. We continue working to demonstrate that there are other solutions to address the capitalist crisis here in Venezuela. It could be that these very experiences could be taken as an example and be put in practice in other places. Only the people will save themselves. We should count on no one except ourselves. And of course the workers have a key role to play, a historic responsibility when it comes to push processes towards socialism. Thank you so much.
0: In 2006, I traveled to Venezuela to attend the World Social Forum. After a debacle with my hotel, I found myself without a place to stay, but ended up connecting with a group of solidarity activists from Canada, who shared their accommodation with me. These activists were connected with workers from the Inverval factory, who had seized control after the bosses joined the lockout. The workers invited us to visit the factory and hear directly from them about their struggle. On the long bus ride to the factory south of Caracas, we talked about the ABCs of Marxism and class struggle from a Marxist perspective. It was my first time being exposed to these ideas and it was the perfect primer for the experience I was about to have at Invival. Once we arrived, we were welcomed by a committee from the factory. As we talked with them and toured the factory, it became immediately apparent to me that the concepts I was hearing about just a moment ago on the bus ride had come to life here in this factory. It was at that moment that I came to understand Marxism as the science of class struggle, as the ideology of the working class. In other words, it was on the floor of a Venezuelan worker-controlled factory that I became a Marxist. I share this anecdote to close this episode because the fight of Venezuelan workers continues to be an inspiration. Their efforts, under the most difficult of circumstances, continue to be an example. As our guest told us today, these experiences can be put into practice in other places. And, solo el pueblo sabe al pueblo. That's our program for today. Thank you for joining us. Remember our on the ground work is 100% funded by readers and listeners. Be sure to visit us at venezuelaanalysis.com for regular news and analysis on all things Venezuela. We're also everywhere on social media, from Telegram to Instagram and, of course, Twitter. If you enjoy the program, please share it with your friends and leave us a review if you can. It really helps us out. We'll end today's episode with the song America Latina Obrera by Venezuelan communist singer Ali Primera. Hasta la victoria siempre
1: que tú te levantes América Latina obrera no sé por qué no lo haces el yanqui teme a la revolución el yanqui teme grito yanqui gojón go y viene
0: remontando el Amazonas el grito rebelde del Carioca y viene
2: a unirse con su hermano el obrero venezolano América Latina obrera, América Latina Levanten tus manos la bandera de la revolución, América Latina obrera y grite con fuerza, ¡gente cojo! de América Latina te dicen gringo gojón,
1: yanqui gojón.
2: Levante en tus manos la bandera de la revolución,